In a small Judean town, just days before the crucifixion of our Lord, Matthew records an extreme story in Matthew chapter 26. He records this and remembers this awkward moment of an unnamed woman giving excessive praise to the Lord. Now this woman, all she wanted to do was worship at the feet of Jesus. And that's, that's all that she cared about. At least that's what everybody thought. See, they, everybody was angry with her at her act except Jesus. It was it, what looked like an awkward moment was actually a moment where this worshiper was awestruck. It's the most incredible moments of worship we find in all of the scripture. Now, what we wanna discuss this weekend is that worship cost. It cost this unnamed woman. It cost. It cost your time to be in this gathering. And when I talk about worship this weekend, I'm not talking about just where we gather. I'm talking about 24-7, 365. Is that okay? It may cost your reputation, your dignity, your money, or even your life as untold people have laid their life down in worship and sacrifice the service to God. It's been that way since the book of Genesis. It will be that way until the end of time. So the scripture is clear. There's so many ways that we worship, but just a few are. A sacrifice that we give it, a drink offering that we live it, a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips when we sing it, or a sacrificial offering we're gonna talk about this weekend that we bring it. But it's all a part of what we do. Uh, it's just, it's, it's engaging, again, in corporate worship like this weekend, as we have all over East Tennessee at our campuses. And sometimes in worship, you can feel uncomfortable. Would y'all agree with that? Uh, learning to raise your hands, learning to sing out loud. Some of us tried it. We began to worry about what other people would think and we began to shrink back in corporate worship. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Many will misunderstand your worship. They'll, they won't understand your love for Jesus, but they will mock at your passion and they will scoff at your sacrifice for God. So in Matthew 26, at a, at a leper named Simon's house, which is a whole other story that a rabbi, Jesus, would be in a leper's home would never, ever happen. They're reclining at the table for dinner, he and the disciples. Now, if you've never reclined, if you've never laid down to eat, first let me tell you, you can eat more. <laughs> so in Bible days, the, the tables weren't like, the tables were about 12 inches high and you just sit here and eat. So your feet are, are you're laid out and you're just eating. You're just eating. And in the midst of this, a woman shows up and she opens up an alabaster jar of perfume. She walks in the room, she breaks the seal, she opens it and she pours it on the body of Jesus. The, the room is immediately filled with the smell of this extravagant gift, this lavish worshiper pours on Jesus. But instead of everyone in the room being awestruck 
and, and, and literally just joining in and worshiping God and singing praises and celebrating and just experiencing who God is, the Bible says in Matthew 26 that the disciples are indignant, which means to be very, very displeased. So she pours it on Jesus and, and everybody's mad. They say, why wasn't this perfume sold to the money given to the poor? But Jesus, wherever this said to them, why do you bother the woman? For she has done a good deed to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. For when she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. See, while y'all are looking in the outward circumstances, God led her to come and pour this lavish gift out because I'm about to be tortured and executed. Truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will be spoken in memory of her. 21 centuries later, we don't know her name, but we know her deed. And she, and, and in the midst of people screaming waste, she screamed worship. You ever feel like your worship is wasted? So together this weekend, we wanna invite the Holy Spirit to invade, to involve, to open our eyes to show us anything or keep us from anything that will hinder our worship to God. So let's pray together. Father God, we come to you because you indeed are worthy. You're holy, you're perfect, you're high, you're awesome. You're beyond our comprehension. And God, we are awestruck at who you are and what you do. And Father, we know worship is never wasted, but God, there are so many things that get in our way that block our view, that block our hearts. Father, we, we, we understand that worship is about bringing worth to you because you're worthy. You're the only one worthy of praise and honor and glory. You're the only one who's seated and exalted on the throne over the universe. You alone are God, the one true God, and we bless your name. God, give us revelation and impartation. Reveal to us how we are to live a life of a drink offering being poured out for you because you are worthy. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, Amen. welcome promisers from all of our campuses, uh, God behind bars, online, whenever and wherever you're with us joining. We hope that you are awestruck this weekend at God. We love you and we're thrilled that you're here and you have given your time to be here. Now, if you were here last week, didn't the new voices do an incredible job last weekend? Come on. And one of the things that I saw watching was that, man, our future is amazing because we've got a next generation of radical, passionate worshipers of God who are ready to take the mantle of the gospel and reach their generation for Jesus. So, man, we celebrate that. We celebrate it. Now, they talked about awestruck, and awestruck is how we are to live, how we're to worship. Our attention, our affection, our adulation riveted upon the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, daily caught up in his wonder, mesmerized, awestruck. And when we live like that, we begin to live what Jesus bought for us, John 10, 10, the abundant life. Now I've said this forever and I'll say it till I get to heaven. I want you, if you're listening, say I am. This world in which we live stands in stark opposition of what I've just said. Stark opposition. The goal of this world is to distract you from worshiping God. Again, not just corporately, but with your life. 
They want to detour your worship to anything or anyone other than God. You can worship your tea. You can worship money. You can worship success. You can worship your house, your children, your yard, your hobbies. You can worship anything. Remember, Satan tempts Jesus in the wilderness. If you'll worship me, I'll give you all the kingdoms. And that's what false worship does. If you'll worship, if you'll make gold your God, you'll be happy. If you'll, if you'll focus on these idols, if you'll do this, you're going to get everything you want. And yet it is one big lie. Satan was the chief worship leader in heaven, the most brightest, beautiful angel created by God, and his job was to lead worship. The problem was he wanted to receive it, not to release it. He wanted to steal the glory and worship from God and have it all focused on him. And let me tell you, when you try to steal God's glory, it puts you in a difficult position. And Jesus said that Satan was the little G-O-D of this world, the principality and power in the air. So he has set this world up to distract your worship. And that's not crazy enough. And that's crazy. But if that's not crazy enough, Christians will mock your worship. They'll mock your sacrifice. They'll mock your giving. They'll mock, they'll mock your life. Live for him and not for yourself. Because the world wants to press you into the mold. So it wants to, you to reject God and receive the world. Now, what I love about this woman in Matthew chapter 26 is that she doesn't care what other people think. She wanted to worship the one who was worthy, who loved her. She wanted to give her all back to him as an act of worship. Does that make sense? Now, you'll find the story in Matthew 26. You'll find it in Mark chapter 14, and you'll find it in Luke chapter 7. But in Luke chapter seven, it becomes different. It's in a Pharisee's house. A woman comes in, does the same thing, breaks the alabaster jar, pours it, and the Pharisees are indignant. And I believe it's two separate experiences. Theologians will debate whether those three passages, is it two different stories or is it one with some of the details? I think it was two. And so the Pharisee says to himself, if you didn't know what kind of woman this is, you'd have never let her touch you. Well, just forget that for a second. What Jesus says is, Simon, I've got a question. Simon the Pharisee said, I came to your house. You didn't give me water to wash my feet. You didn't give me water to wash my hands. You didn't do all this stuff for me. But this woman has not since anointing my body, has not since wetting my feet with her tears and drying my feet with her hair, and he said, a debtor owned a certain amount of money, one owned 50,000 denarii, one owned 500 denarii. Neither could repay. The king forgave them both. Which one loved more? And the Pharisee said, I suppose the one that has been forgiven more. If you've been forgiven a lot, you love a lot. Now, maybe some of you didn't sin much. I did. And let me tell you, I couldn't give God enough. Are y'all with me? Are y'all are y'all with me? See, she she didn't care their response. She only was looking for his response. That's why Paul, the Apostle Paul in the script said, "You got to choose. You're gonna be a man pleaser or a God pleaser." So, what does Jesus say about her? Uh, what, what does he say about her in Matthew 26, uh, verses 
Matthew 26, there we go. What, what does he say? He, he, again, he, he scolds them for their attitude. He's pleased with our scolds them. He said, the poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. She performed, she poured this perfume on my body. She did it to prepare me for burial. Whatever this gospel is preached to the whole world, what this woman has done will be spoken in memory of her. See, worship honors God and it blesses God. This was most likely her dowry. The cost of this alabaster vial filled with this pure nard is about today's money, four, about $40,000. It's a year's worth of wages. So it's about 40. So she brings the most precious thing she has and she pours it out on Jesus knowing it'll never be recovered. Never be recovered. See, some see worship as waste because you can't get it back. The disciples said, why this waste? Can I tell you something? Are you ready? Worship is never wasted. Do y'all believe that? Worship is never wasted. So the alabaster stone vial was precious in itself. And in that day, it was a stone that would keep the, all the perfume in. So it was, you know, it was carved out, filled with perfume, closed and then sealed so that it would last. When she broke the seal, there was no turning back. And she was committed. Are you committed in worship to him? Again, not just as we meet together, but 24 seven, 365. So we're gonna, what we're gonna do is we're gonna link up across all of our campuses right now in one body, one church, and we're gonna worship for a few minutes. We are gonna give unto him a sweet aroma, a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips, worthy of the one who is to be worshiped.
So have a seat. One of the lines of that song said this, all my words fall short. The woman that we're talking about this weekend, she went beyond words, didn't she? She went beyond songs. She went to give her all. Her worship cost her basically everything she had. The response of the disciples in the midst of that moment baffles me. It's crazy. But don't we see the same response today? Over the the 27 years of faith promise, I couldn't tell you how many times someone's come and said, hey, we don't need to build another campus. Hey, we don't need to do this. Why don't you just give all that money to the poor? And what I can tell you is almost everyone that's ever said that doesn't give. The loudest boos come from the cheapest seats. Are you with me? So people that are not committed to worship, not committed to sacrifice, want to come and tell us how we, are you with me? Are are you okay? Are you okay? See, if you, in the Bible reading plan about a month ago, we were in 2 Samuel. There's a plague that's happening on Israel because of a sin David committed. And David goes to stop, to, to intercede to God, and he sees a hill and he wants to buy the hill so they can build an altar and sacrifice to God. He goes to the owner and the owner said, oh, no, 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 I give you the land. You can have my oxen. Here's the carts. You can break up for wood. You got everything you need. And David said this, no, no, you don't understand. I will never offer to God anything that cost me nothing. We live in a world of give me, give me, give me. We live in a world of pure entitlement and that entitlement has been introduced into our worship. See, we want everything free or we at least want it we, we wanted it to reduce price. Can I, can I tell you something? Are you listening? If you're listening, Sam, there's no such thing as discounted worship. It, worship is never on sale. Worship is never cheap. It's never found in the bargain bin at the Dollar General store. Worship will never cost more than you have, but it can cost you as much as you have because worship costs. Your salvation Your forgiveness, your adoption, cost God everything. His only begotten son. Now, how many of you would agree with this message so far? Let me hear you, every campus, come on. Do you agree so far? All right. Now I'm gonna clap as much in just a second. Let me love on you for a minute. See, worship is living with your hands raised in surrender and hands open and giving your life away, being poured out as a drink offering, right? Pastor uh, Aaron Gowen, our CFO, sent me some information a couple weeks ago that really shook me to the core of, 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 of being a pastor. I mean, it, 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 he, he sent me some financial information and it, I'm, I'm just gonna tell you, it, it rocked my world. I, I read it and I was immediately very angry, which I decided I wouldn't preach on it for a while because I wouldn't preach in the right spirit. Now I've had time, a few weeks to reflect on it. Here's the deal, are you ready? I want you to listen to these numbers. For the first six months of 2022, in this incredible rebuilding year from COVID, 7,000 families that we know of came to Faith Promise. That worship Wednesday night, you know, that that checked in, filled out a card, 7,000 families. There are others we don't know about. These are the ones that we know, right? 4,436 of the 7,000 families gave nothing 
the first six months of this year. Not a penny. Zero. 1,173 other families gave $1,000 or less in the first six months. That means in the first six months that they were tithing, they made $10,000 or less. 80% of the 7,000 families that have attended this year gave nothing, gave $1,000 or nothing. 80% of people that gather to worship God. Now, I, I'm, it, it, it literally, it rocked me. It rocked me. There, the other 19 plus percent gave $1,000 or more in the first. I was angry. That was brokenhearted. And then it just dawned on me, somehow I failed you as your pastor. I failed to lead you. I failed somehow to teach you, to help you see that God is so worthy. He's so amazing that you would want to worship in giving. And yet somehow I missed that. Almost 80% of the people that have been here so far this year See, the Bible says, walk worthy of the sacrifice that was made for you, which was Jesus on a cross. Now, if you're listening, you're struggling with the trusting God financially, especially in this season of fear and frustration. Now, interest rates rising, people talking recession. By the way, all those talking heads on the news are just to try to get you to vote for a political party. Neither of which cares about you, neither of which cares about you. God cares, he's worthy. So even in the midst of a fearful financial future, I'm gonna keep sacrificing to God. Is anybody with me? Is anybody, anybody with me? Now, some of you are clapping and I'm talking to you. Please hear me. It's not about church having more money. It's about God having more of you. It's about living a life. So if we want to help you the next step, if you haven't signed up for next steps, we're not doing it in July, but we pick it up first weekend of August, sign up, show up. It's going to be incredible. It's coming Saturday. We're meeting to pray. And part of what we do is we pray for this body that God would open people's eyes up to his worth because worship is worth, worthing God. Does that make sense? Worth, God's worth. Remember the woman in, in, in Luke chapter seven? Jesus said, he, he that is forgiven much, what? Loves much. But maybe the 80% of people that have given little to nothing. Now, there are a few people that did tithe, so that's you. Thank you. Maybe you just didn't sin much, so you don't have to love much. Maybe the worst thing you do was smoke an orange crayon when you were eight. <laughs> I suspect that's not the case. Amen. So, but we don't want you to sit and suffer in silence. We want to help you because we want to help you live life awestruck. We, we don't want you to miss out on living a life of radical worship. And it's so much more than money. Listen, if you're stuck up on the, if you're just stuck on that money part, God is your gold and greed is your creed. Are you with me? And that is what the enemy's using to divert your worship. Come on, in Jesus' name, rise up. 
In Jesus' name, step up. In Jesus' name, come on. So let me ask you a question. In your worship, do you want to be like the woman in Matthew 26 or like the disciples in the same story? Who said, why this waste? Why this waste of worship? But see, their focus was on the circumstances, not on the fact that just in hours, Jesus would be skinned alive, executed in the most cruel, inhumane way possible and pay the penalty for our sins. She got it. Everybody else missed it. She's anointed my body for burial. When I first met Jesus at 22, man, I dove in the church. I immediately began tithing, to be honest with you. Never had a struggle with it, never, never. Immediately began doing, serving. My family thought I'd gone crazy. Wasn't dating anymore, wasn't doing drugs anymore. I'm living for the Lord. I'm trying to talk to them about Jesus. They thought, I'd been, they thought I was crazy. But see, being awestruck is awkward to the world that's around us. They don't get that. See, part of your worship, whether it's public or private, is losing yourself into the glory that is God's. Does that make sense? It's not being caught up in self, it's being caught up in him. So in Matthew 10, Jesus says this. This is radical. These people are shocked. He said, who, he who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He that has found his life, that's living like that, will lose it. But he that loses his life for my sake will find it. See, the kingdom is just sort of backwards. It's backwards. Man, so I, I thought I had life until I met Jesus. Then I realized what real life was. Does that make sense? So to keep your life, you will lose it. To lose your life, you will find it. It's just the biblical way. And so for this reason, understanding what I've said so far, worship that costs you nothing is empty and hollow. And if you would search your heart and soul, you'll know that what I'm saying is true. So will you worship your stuff and yourself? Will you try to keep your life? Or will you worship the only one that's worthy of worship? Will you put yourself last and enjoy the abundant life by putting God first? This weekend and all of our volunteers, we've been, our win teams, we've been talking about we put others before ourselves. And it's one of our values, so we've been talking about this week. So let me tell you what worship is. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you mad? Okay, that's all right. You can get, listen, you can get mad. You can get glad. You can respond. You can reject. I'm going to go home, throw something on the grill and have a great day. See, I'm responsible to you, but not for you. I can't go to your house and help you to live this. I can teach you and you can do with it what you will. See, worship is our response to what he says. Jesus said, if you love me, you're going to obey me didn't he? Worship is our response to who he is. Worship is our response to the revelation that we receive. Now, you know what I used to think? I'm going to preach this message and everybody here this weekend is going to start giving. I know better now. I'm, heart, I'm heartbroken. I, I would have thought a few weeks ago when I talked about men serving, at the 10 o'clock service at Pellissippi, there were a thousand people in the room. 
I asked the men who were serving and kids and students to stand, there were 10. I almost couldn't finish that sermon. I was so devastated inside. Just devastated. And you would think, hey, hundreds of men are gonna serve across Faith Promise globally are gonna sign up to serve. Did it happen? No, because we've gotten so calloused to hearing the word or not heeding the word that we're comfortable disobeying God. Are you okay? Are you okay? See, we need to understand our worship is never wasted. In my Bible, not this Bible, my preaching Bible, but my devotional Bible, I put smiley faces and sad faces all over it. So Matthew 26, when it said the woman, I put a big smiley face. She worshiped. Then it said the disciples were indignant. I put a big, fat, sad face. What about you? In your worship, how you're living your life, are you like the woman or are you like the disciples? Are you a critique of worship or are you a, or are you a, you know, are you in, involved in it? What do you need to let go of? What do you need to let go of so that you can live a life open-handed? What do you need to let go of that you can live a life in radical worship of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, who's worthy of praise and honor and glory? What the, if what the woman did sounds strange to you, a little odd, it's okay. Maybe right now you can begin by worshiping the one who's worthy of our worship. So campus pastors are coming forward. They're gonna give you an opportunity to respond to the gospel, and then we're gonna worship. So campus pastors, you guys take it over.